We believe to ride and run is freedom and empowerment. We believe riding and running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people were physically active, the world would be a better place. We believe in physical activity because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Ride and Run Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. From the capital of the South, this is the Big Peach Ride and Run Podcast. My name is Mike Cosentino. My goodness, what good fortune I have to host this little broadcast. And part of why I say that is true. You will see how true it is here right now. I am going to introduce our guest, my friend and yours very soon, Dr. Lauren Powell. This is super cool. How are you this evening? I'm great. I'm great. How are you? I man, I'm really good. And I have to tell you, this is long overdue, right? We've been yeah, talking yeah. about having this conversation for a long time. And I think immediately people would say, oh, it must have been COVID. It must have been all kinds of other delays in your schedule. And maybe there's a little bit of truth to that, but you've had a lot going on. There have been a lot of cool things going on. So I'm just going to say this at the onset, and we may talk a little bit about it before we're finished. How's motherhood treating you? And you're only three weeks back from maternity leave. How's it going? It's going. It's going, you know, every time I think I like get a groove and like get something together, then like another curveball comes and then I have to kind of get a new normal. So I feel like that's going to be the summary of motherhood is just like constantly adjusting to a new normal and a new stage and then learning and then it changes and then you have to change and learn and grow. Well, I, I would have. I would imagine that that is true. And for all of you out here who are going to get a chance to bathe in the knowledge that the culinary doctor is going to share with us this evening, if you have parenting tips, you can send them to her at Dr. Lauren Powell on Instagram and other places. We'll make sure you're able to find her because where she may only have a little bit of time in parenthood, she has a tremendous amount of time and knowledge in a topic that candidly speaking, we usually cover in the spring. We try to do an annual episode on nutrition, on eating right, on ensuring that alongside your miles and your fitness routine comes sensible eating and fitness paired with nutrition that works. So we're doing this a little bit late, but I think it's going to work. I can tell you, Dr. Powell, I'm actually glad we're doing this a little bit late because when I come into the spring, I feel like, man, I did not do a great job over the winter or at the end of the holiday season. And right now my garden's doing really well. The last 60 days, I feel like I've been eating relatively clean. So I'm super jacked about this because now I'm putting it on your shoulders to help me get to the end of the year with the same momentum I, I have right now. But first, let's talk a little bit about your, your background. And you've done so many cool things. For those who are not familiar with Dr. Powell already, like I said, the culinary doctor, she has a book. Check this title out because it will immediately make you want it if you don't already have it on your bookshelves. Food Essentials for the Busy Professional. Who in our audience does that not describe? Almost no one. So the relevance there is terrific. Obviously, you've had tremendous success with that, Dr. Powell, CBS, Fox, all of the major networks, NBC, ABC, you name them. She's been there. More importantly, perhaps than just publishing books, she has made a difference in the lives of so many around the country, especially those who have had to learn how to utilize, truly utilize food as medicine and make it a part, an important part, a daily part of their life. But the story began with a personal 
story, Dr. Powell, and I love this. I obviously love the idea of family and family first. Where did your nutrition journey begin and how did you become so passionate, truly passionate about this? Awesome. Yeah. Story actually started when I was in residency. I was in my third year, my last year of residency, and I was taking 36 hour calls. And um, what I would do, I was in the habit of anytime I got off call, I would call my dad and he would kind of talk to me and keep me awake out as I was driving home. And I would tell him about my night and things like that. And so one Saturday morning, I was calling him, telling him about my night and he just wasn't acting the same. He wasn't really responsive to me. And I finally was like, what's going on with you? Like, why aren't you talking to me? And he started talking and his speech became very, very slurred. And I recognized that my dad was having a stroke while we were on the phone. So I hung up the phone with him. I called my mom and I said, mom, you got to meet dad at the hospital. Like he's having a stroke. Told him to go to the drugstore, get an aspirin and then head to the hospital. And he did. And while he was in the hospital in the ER, um, his blood pressure was super high. Um, his cholesterol was so high. They couldn't even give a number. It just said high. Um, just everything was out of whack. And it was very confusing for us because my father was the type that was going to the doctors every three months. He was taking a bunch of medications. So then it's, why did something bad still happen to a patient who was doing all the things that he was told to do? And so, you know, I thought about me as a resident. I was admitting patients to the hospital, taking care of in the clinic. They were doing all the things I was telling them to do in the clinic, but then I'm admitting them to the hospital with heart attacks and strokes and all these things. And so I thought if patients do the things that um, their doctor asked them to do, but bad stuff still happens, we must be missing something. We must not be connecting all of the pieces. So that's when I really recognize, unless we change the food that we put in our body, unless we change the liquids that we are consuming, unless we change our lifestyle and our physical activity, bad stuff is still going to happen. And so that's when I just became very committed to, um, you know, my patients at a different type of a level. Like I cannot talk to them about their diabetes without talking to them about their food, about their sleep. And so I just you know, took a different approach than to kind of chronic disease. I did some additional training in culinary medicine because I met, you know, med school, we learn so much, but we literally get six weeks of nutrition in medical school, which is not enough to educate our patients. So I kind of did some additional training just so I would have the skills, um, the skill set to, to work with my patients. And so that's kind of where my journey started and, you know, um, I've tried to kind of share the message of food and medicine in a variety of ways. Sometimes it's hard in a traditional, you know, clinic where, you, you know, you get these short visits and it's hard because you have all these things that you need to talk about with their patient. And then I also need to talk to you about your food and your lifestyle, but sometimes it's hard. And so that's why I came up with the book and classes and all these things, because I recognize I have to reach people in other ways than just in the doctor's office. Well, I love that. And the first thing I'm going to do is just maybe tease this out for everyone. For those of you who are perhaps listening to this type of conversation for the first time, you just heard that Dr. Powell is an MD. And yet that is really rare. We've had the good fortune of interacting with a lot of experts and, and those who have done deep, good work in nutrition and in food preparation. Some of you already know my deep affinity for Nancy Clark, who's a registered dietitian and is the author of the Sports Nutrition Guidebook. But understand, being an MD, Dr. Powell was also the chief resident. The Halifax Health System is currently in a private practice, the Prevent Clinic, 
that she serves as the primary care physician. So please understand, this is really, really special to be able to combine the deep knowledge that's necessary to have an MD and to be practicing everyday medicine in a family setting, as well as to have all the credentials and personal experience she does in and around food and nutrition. So next, Dr. Powell, let me ask you this. With that start where most of us wouldn't know what might be happening to a loved one, you were able to both diagnosis, diagnose it and provide a recommendation to your dad immediately. Now, here we are, and we're talking about nutrition. So many who come into our stores, me included, oftentimes just want to throw more mileage or more physical fitness or a way to burn more calories at it. And we don't necessarily think about that other side. And you already mentioned that we could be taking medication. We could be staying with that res recommended schedule of doctor visits. We could be exercising regularly. What is the relationship between food and exercise in your estimation? You know, in terms of optimal health, you can't do the exercise and not do the food and think that it's gonna make a difference. You know, patients often come to me and they wanna talk about weight loss. And so they're like, I'm doing all the activity, but then they're not changing the way that they eat. And, you know, personally, I feel like food is 80%. I feel like mm. food is 80% of it. And then, you know, the 20% is physical activity. And, you know, and the other, the other things, because food just affects so many of our organs. It affects our entire system. It affects, you know, so much inflammation and chronic disease. And so if you're not changing the way that you eat, if you're not changing the food that you put in your body, all these other things, you're just not really optimizing them. You're not really kind of taking advantage of them as well as you could. So there's the, the, the general health of it. I'm going to go through a few things that I know many fitness enthusiasts, certainly runners, and yes, I will suggest that some of this is probably also a selfish indulgence. Let's talk a little bit first about plants versus meat. Do you have a, a take on, you know, what the right relationship is with our bodies and what might be plant-based or vegetarian and other, you know, derivatives or whether we should be eating meat? Um, so, you know, I, I, I generally don't... Um prescribe one specific diet. I think it kind of really depends on the person. I believe we should be eating real food. I believe we should be cooking our food. I believe we shouldn't be eating processed stuff. I don't think we should be eating we mm. should be eating sugar. Um, if we're going to eat meat, I feel like it should be quality. Meat is going to be the most expensive thing that we buy. I believe it should be the highest quality thing that we consume. Um, you know, I have patients that, you know, I, I've met vegans and vegetarians that are not healthy. So just because you're vegetarian, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to be healthy. I mean, Skittles are vegetarian, right? Oreos are vegetarian. So just because your things are vegetarian or you're a vegetarian, it doesn't guarantee um, good health. So, you know, in general, I like to lead with plants. I believe that plants should be, you know, the overwhelming majority of what's on our plate. Um, you know, I believe I consume meat in very small quantities, mostly fish. Um, but again, it's, I think it's a personal thing. And I, I think we have to just be careful. You know, I had a patient today who told me that she's going to convert, you know, to a vegetarian diet. And I said, that's great, but let's talk about, you know, where we're going to be getting our calories because you also don't want to fill up on carbohydrates. You don't want to replace that with a bunch of carbs. And so, again, I think it's going to be really person dependent because, any way you eat is going to involve cooking and preparing meals. And so you want to make sure that, that you're able to. And so I think it's a real individualized um, kind of decision in terms of what someone eats. But I just I, I want to avoid the, the highly inflammatory foods. I want to avoid the processed foods. 
I want to avoid the simple sugars and simple carbs. I don't feel like anybody should be consuming those, no matter what type of diet that you follow. I don't believe that anybody should be consuming soap, uh, uh, soda or pop. I don't feel like anybody should be consuming um, processed meat like hot dogs and bacon and sausage. I just feel like nobody should be consuming those things. So um, I think that's good. That's, that'd be my Awesome. Well, and we're going to come back around. And so you'll be ready for this because there's a, a quick recipe or something that you're like, Hey, listen, for somebody who maybe recognizes they have a long way to go, here's a, a place to start something that's going to taste great, going to be easy to prepare at home and not going to be overly expensive. We want it all right. We want all of those things. Okay. Let's talk then about snacks, runners and those who are regularly working out sometimes feel like they're hungry throughout the entire day. And they may do a great job of not eating too much right before they go to bed or not eating what what is your take on snacks or any recommendations for those of us who just have a higher caloric need and don't want to screw it up by binging all at once at some point yeah no i'm i'm all about the snacks you know i tend to eat within a six to eight hour window but i definitely snack sometimes in that window um again based on caloric need if you're burning a lot of calories you're gonna need you're gonna need it you know and i think it's also good for kind of maintaining kind of um, you know, balanced blood sugars, but I like things like nuts and, um, you know, fruits and avocados, again, real food, um, food that you can look at it and identify what it is. Um, you know, there's some really good protein bars out there that have pretty clean ingredients. You just want to make sure you're not, again, doesn't have a bunch of sugar in it. I love making smoothies. So I love filling up with my spinach and my strawberries and, um, some coconut water, just keeping it easy. Um, I love taking some peanut butter and eating it with a nice banana. You know, I like those things. Again, I'm, 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 I'm talking about real food, food that when you look at it, you know what it is and not food that you kind of have to say, you know, what's in this? Like, you know, what I always say, eat Jesus food, right? What did Jesus make? Jesus made plants and fish and, you know, um, fruits and vegetables. He didn't make Twinkies. He didn't make mayonnaise. He didn't make, uh, you know, whole, you know, he didn't make those things. And so, you know, eat real food, eat food that you can look at and identify. Say if something has more than five ingredients, you probably don't need to be eating it. Just in general, it's more likely to have some of the additives, some of the colorings and the dyes, just the things that we don't really need in our body. When you say be able to identify it, if I held up an Oreo, we could say that is an Oreo, but if we distilled it down, we couldn't identify anything that, but if we, if I held up an avocado and then we distilled it down, it'd still be an avocado. That's right. That's awesome. Okay. So one of the things that you just mentioned, and I'm not going to, obviously for those of you who are not looking at the video, this is my smoothie. You've already helped me be better because I had not had my smoothie today. So this was on, on my list. Any, you know, tips you do in your book these tips that are really helpful for people on the go. And I think of a smoothie as something that's really portable and, and can be done where it's done in advance. I make almost a full week's of smoothie in the time. And all I do is just not put them in the blender and then I just throw it in the blender and I'm ready to go. What would you tell us about smoothies as it relates to either ingredients to, to try to get in or ways to incorporate that for us who are living those busy lives and are on the fly on a regular basis? Right. So I'd, I'd say there's no limit to what you put in your smoothies in terms of vegetables, like as much spinach as you want, as much carrots, as much arugula, no limit on vegetables. What we do have to be mindful of is the fruit. So we don't want to just basically make a fruit basket and load it with sugar. So I say try to be mindful of your fruit. You know, berries are great. Anytime you want to use a banana or something that's high in sugar, make sure you're only using half of it. So I only use like half a banana if I'm going to do a banana or half of a mango. Just because those 
have a higher glycemic index, so I know that they're going to cause my sugar to increase. So you kind of want to limit those. But again, full of vegetables. I try to avoid the juices. Sometimes I've seen people pour juice in their smoothie, and I say, mm -hmm. you know, you don't need that again. It's just adding extra sugar. Water is fine. Coconut water is fine. Unsweetened almond milk or things like that are fine. Um, additionally, you know, smoothies are not going to be a meal replacement unless you kind of add some protein to it. They just don't have enough to kind of sustain you. It's a great snack, but unless you have some kind of protein in it, it's going to be, it's not going to hold you over. So sometimes in the morning I'll make a smoothie and I'll have two boiled eggs and that kind of will sustain me because it's enough, it's enough protein in me, you know, in there for me. Um, you can always add a scoop of your favorite protein powder as long as again, it doesn't have much sugar in it. Um, that'll make it filling enough to be a meal. Wow. So I was happy with my smoothie. I probably have overfruited it. And now I've, I've got to ask. So I do like a sweetener in my smoothie. Okay. Which ones are the one to use? I've used everything from, you know, honey and maple syrup and agave. Is there any such thing as put, go ahead, Mike, keep putting those in there or where, what is your take on fruit. sweeteners? Monk fruit. I'd say if you're going to use a sweetener, monk fruit. Um, monk fruit has a very low glycemic index, meaning it's not going to raise your blood sugar um, very much. It's not super sweet, but you know it's a it's a Chinese fruit that they kind of grind down, grind down, and, it, and they make it into a powdered sugar. The conversion between monk fruit and regular sugar is one to one, so you can even bake with it. Like if you're going to make whatever sweets and it calls for sugar, it'd be the same equivalent with monk fruit. So that's what I generally use um, if I'm going to sweeten, you know, a smoothie or or anything. It's a little wow. bit of monk fruit. Monk fruit. That's awesome. Again, food essentials for the busy professional. These are the kind of tips that, that you're going to find that are just going to be real gold nuggets for us to improve our overall nutrition. Okay, we just talked about smoothies. And then there's also juicing. I found juicing personally to be kind of expensive and I don't seem to yeah. get the same. So help me understand from a, a true professional's perspective, smoothies versus juicing. Is there a big difference and is it worth yeah, so it? You know, with, with smoothies, you're using the whole fruit. You're using the whole fruit, and that whole fruit is blended down. And so you're really still consuming the entire piece of fruit. With juicing, you're just extracting the juice from it. So I tend not to juice, again, because it tends to be expensive if you're going to purchase. And if you buy, because it takes a lot of fruit to make just the juice. So um, I tend to prefer smoothies just because you're getting the actual fruit. So you're getting more of the fiber, and you're getting just more rather than just the fruit that's extracted um, from the fruit. But if you're like someone who's like, man, I just want some juice, like my husband, sometimes he just wants juice. And the only juice I try to buy for him is just cold pressed juice. Um, and it's more of a treat though. It's not something that we're consuming all the time again, because it's just expensive. Mm -hmm. Okay. Boy, am I really holding myself back from asking this question, but on my list, I either have to just go right past it or I have to go ahead and do it. So D2 may edit this out later, but we're gonna ask anyway. What about alcohol? What is your take on alcohol? So, you know, the studies are consistent that alcohol, you know, is inflammatory. So I think we do have to be mindful of it. I tend to be a person that I try not to say absolutely no to stuff unless it's like the bad stuff, like I mentioned earlier. So, you know, with alcohol, I think, I think it's a, it's a balance again. Um, I love a great red wine and, you know, when I'm going out with friends or having dinner, I'd like to have a glass. I just think we have to get away from it being something we consume on like an everyday basis. I think that's not the best for us. Again, it affects our sleep. It can affect our mood and it's very mm -hmm. inflammatory. So 
I just think it's not something we we want to be consuming on a regular basis. But I'm not going to say, you know, don't have wine or don't have champagne when you're celebrating, you know, something you're getting together. But it's just not something we want to be a part of our everyday kind of thing that we're consuming. Okay. And you didn't say a, a cold craft dark beer. So you did say <laughs> champagne and wine. As long as it's not every day, can I go ahead and sneak that in there as well? Yes. Yes, you may. All right. Yes, this <laughs> this this section will stay in. No editing for D two. Um, we already talked a little bit about sugar, but you know, for those who have a bit of a sweet tooth, for those who are not just going to be able to go, you know, well, I heard Dr. Lauren Powell, so I'm going to give every up everything that has sugar in it. Any suggestions you would give us that are balanced or that are perhaps sustainable? I would say that you know, sugar is very addictive. So if you're used to eating very sweet things, it's hard. It's very hard to um, consume less of those things. It's very hard to use some of the alternatives we talked about, like monk fruit. But I just encourage people to just try, and your taste buds can be trained. Just like when we were young, um, coffee was disgusting, right? And now it tastes great. Your taste buds can be trained. Alcohol, when we first had that drink as a teenager and we sipped our parents' drink, it tasted but we continue to drink it as we get older and now it tastes good. So our taste buds can be trained. And so a lot of times when I'm working with people in their food, we have to do a lot of sugar like detox because their taste buds are just so wired for highly sugary things that even when they have something that's sweet, it doesn't taste sweet enough to them. So I have to just remind people that it's kind of, um, you know, take your time, slowly kind of wean off some of the sugar, especially the processed stuff. But there's things like I make these muffins and I don't use any sugar in them. I sweeten them with applesauce. And applesauce acts like a natural sweetener. I'm not getting into any inflammatory things. So um, I think using fruits and dates and things like that to sweeten things are great. Again, the monk fruit is a nice sugar alternative. And I think we also just have to remember that our taste buds can be trained. Okay. Well, and I know you've worked with a, a number of, of people and, you know, every perhaps season of their their quite frankly, their wellness or just the journey that all of us are on and some maybe have fallen off as it relates to their health. And it's easy to say, well, maybe some dark chocolate or, or maybe at least cover a blueberry or a, a nut or something like that. Are those snacks that are ultimately a way to kind of wean off that sweet tooth we've developed that we can train away from? Or are those the type of things, let's, let's say a dark chocolate covered blueberry are those the type of things that yeah, you know really fine. are not those are great dark chocolate okay. is great dr chocolate you know if it's really dark chocolate um you know are great it's supposed to be great for our hearts so i have a piece of dark chocolate every now and again you know and i, I like it i like dark chocolate um almonds um but i think i think that's a great healthy alternative Okay, awesome. Well, you haven't thrown out dark craft beer entirely, and you just endorsed dark chocolate. So we're moving. Yeah. I'm, I'm, we're not going to discontinue this conversation because I can't <laughs> handle it anymore. So let's let's touch on on this only because I'm sure you see this in your clinic on a regular basis. I'm sure people hit this question your way with you, perhaps even unfairly being expected to feel it perfectly every time. Weight loss and weight management almost instinctively paired with eating healthy. And yet they, they are really, in my opinion, are really two different considerations. Yes, they have a relationship, but they're almost two distinct considerations for our, our listeners who right now are thinking about, well, gosh, it would be nice still to lose a few pounds before the end of the year, or perhaps they need to be on some kind of weight loss program or those who maybe for the first time in a long time have gotten down to a weight that they're really proud of, quite frankly, are really excited about, but 
are a little nervous about whether it's good enough to be true that they could stay at that weight they've now achieved. What, in your estimation, to the extent that you can cover it in a few minutes and not a few episodes, weight management, weight loss, and nutrition? So I think, you know, thinking about patients that, you know, I've, I've worked a lot with this, I think one of the biggest things is um, our eating. I think the average American is eating about 18 hours out of the day. There's only 24 hours in the day. So what that tells me is that people are waking up and we're eating, we're eating throughout the entire day, we're eating and then we're falling asleep. So I think overall, we're over consuming calories because we're just literally eating all day. So I think the first thing people need to be mindful of is just what am I eating? Mm. What am I eating and why am I eating it? There's often a lot of mindless eating that happens. We're just sitting, we're watching TV, we're listening to a podcast and we just find ourselves snacking, but you're not really hungry. So I find that really getting to those behaviors initially, patients tend to find a significant difference. So just being mindful of what am I eating, why am I eating it, and how often am I eating? Um, I think fasting, as long as someone doesn't have a medical condition or takes a medication that prevents them, I think fasting is a great, or you know, a better term is time-restricted eating is a great it's like a great tool to just make sure that we're not kind of over consuming. So that means eating for a certain amount of hours out of the day and then not eating for the other amount of hours out of the day with the goal, again, that we're restricting our calories. Weight loss is a complex thing, but what it comes down to is you're burning more calories than you consume. You burn more than you consume. So that means for every calorie that I'm consuming, I need to burn it, plus some if I wanna lose weight. Otherwise, you're just gonna maintain. And so if you keep that in mind, then you can, you know, be more cognizant of the foods that you're consuming and how often. That's awesome. Let me ask you this. You already touched on one of the things and super amp that you did. What about food journals or logs? Or do you oftentimes find you do? And is that something? I think it just brings the awareness. I think it just brings awareness. And I think every time, you know, you have to log something, you just become just more mindful of the calories and the food that you're consuming. So I love fit my, like my fitness pal. I think that's a great app. And, you know, it's pretty easy to use. You can kind of scan, you know, if the food has a barcode, you can scan it. If you go to a restaurant, most most of the restaurant foods are in there and you can type it in and you see how easy those calories add up. And after you start tracking your calories for two to three weeks, you don't even have to track them anymore because you already know, okay, this is going to be about this many calories and this is going to be about this many calories. So um, I think it's super helpful. Okay. And, and it sounds like you're mindset on that is not just as a way to get started. It's not just a runway. It eventually becomes a way of life, correct? That just like maybe other journaling we might do, that logbook, that food journal, whether it's on an app or whether it's still like some of us might write notes, you would say, keep doing it. If you've hit your goals or you're right on target and you have momentum, keep doing it. If it's working, keep doing it. That's awesome. Okay. That people lose People lose weight people who do tracking are successful, more successful with weight loss. And I think it's just because of the simple act of tracking their calories and being mindful of them. See, that pairs really well with what we do when we talk about getting somebody into a walking or a running routine, right? We don't want them to feel like, well, I have to log every single mile to start with. But the truth is, if you have targets and you have something that's measurable, it is an accountability factor yeah. that can come to play a big role in sticking with it, not just coming out of the gate super strong with lots of enthusiasm and then burning out before too terribly long. Okay, last item, and you referenced it, so I feel like I'm going to get a little bit of a pass here. 
What about coffee? Where is coffee or maybe more specifically caffeine? I heard you already throw out soft drinks. Which is Sorry. totally fine for the record. No, that's okay. I was with the Coca-Cola company for a long time. I love, love, love the fact that they have such a broad portfolio now that it doesn't just need to be what was referred to as a CSD, a carbonated soft drink. But what about caffeine in general or maybe even coffee specifically? So I think coffee is fine. I think what we have to be mindful of when it comes to coffee is all the stuff we put in it. Oftentimes we're getting, you know, these fancy drinks from coffee shops and some of those drinks will have like six, 700 calories, 30 grams of sugar. So I think that's what we have to be mindful of. Obviously you can drink black coffee. That's the best way you can consume it. Um, you can see a health benefit with one cup of black coffee a day. Um, I'd say if you want to do some cream, you know, maybe a non-dairy creamer and if you want to have it flavored and then that's your sugar. So no added sugar in addition to cream. So I generally don't like patients putting cream and sugar in their coffee. I'll tell them they can have a little bit of flavored creamer. Um, and usually that has, you know, like four four grams of, of sugar if you stick to the serving size. And then, and then we don't need any of the sugar. All right. Okay. Well, so for those of us watching on video, I have overfruited my smoothie, but my coffee is black. So I am nice. thrilled that I just got a ringing endorsement for from Dr. Lauren Powell. Again, for those of you who have not met her before, she is the culinary doctor. Also, I've seen this phrase come up alongside you more recently, and that is the cooking queen, which is super cool. So I'm going to kind of turn to the cooking queen. Do you have just a quick recipe that you could share with us? I get that you're not able to share it on the screen. We'll put a link to it perhaps, or we'll mention it in our show notes, but something you could just, you know, describe in a way that says, man, even if I don't remember it, even if I don't jot every ingredient or the preparations themselves down perfectly, I should try this soon. Awesome. Yeah. So one of my favorite things to make is um, that I'm making a lot now is a um, zucchini noodle pasta. So I like to just spiral my zucchinis um, and then I'll make like a, just a light sauce that has like a little bit of butter, some olive oil, some lemon juice and some garlic. Um, and I'll just kind of toss the zucchini noodles in there and I'll kind of um, saute a couple of shrimp and I'll throw that in there, maybe a couple of diced tomatoes, a little fresh grated Parmesan. And that is like one of my favorite, like go to super nutrient dense, um, which means you're getting a lot of nutrition for a very uh, small amount of calories. And so that's, that's one of my go-to meals and it's inexpensive because zucchinis are pretty inexpensive. Um, so yeah. And the zucchinis in my garden did really well this year. And I still, so nice. once again, you've played right into my, right into my hand. All right. So one of the cool <laughs> things that you are, are doing uh, this month, I'm going to go ahead. This is not necessarily just a, a PSA, but I think it, it ties so well to how, you know, almost effortlessly you shared that recipe on August 25th, 26th, and 27th, you're doing something really, really cool and that is the cooking queen you're doing a virtual almost it's a seminar a three-day seminar yeah. tell us a little bit about that certainly in our show notes we will ensure that everyone gets those details but they're not going to be nearly as much fun as hearing you talk about them. right so um i like to do these every once in a while i haven't done one in a while since i've had the baby but was just excited i love like connect that's the one thing i feel like COVID has brought out is just our ability to connect virtually so I'm just going to host a three virtual cooking seminar. So each day I'm going to teach a little bit and then we're going to cook. You'll get the grocery list in advance. So you'll cook alongside with me. Um, and we're going to be making three dishes. The first one is a sweet potato chickpea curry. Um, that is delicious. It's one oh of my, my favorite goodness. dishes. 
And then we're going to be doing a um, uh, vegan Caesar salad um, that is just divine. I love to make my own salad dressing. So I'm going to teach you guys how to make like a wonderful kind of tahini, creamy salad dressing that is just going to be wonderful. And then we're going to be making a cake using olive oil. There's no butter. It's just olive oil. Um, and it's just delicious with some fresh fruit. And so if you can't make it each night, still go ahead and register because you'll get the replay. And we're just going to have a good good time. We're going to connect. We're going to hang, have a glass of wine while we cook. And um, we'll learn. And that's it. So if you go to eatingwithdrlauren.com, you can register. And there's a limited number of spots. But just go ahead and register, get your spot. And I hope to see you guys. That's awesome. I was going to give that website. I'm glad you did. Eatingwithdrlauren.com. That'll get you registered. That is, I mean, that is really, really cool. And just think again, this is a medical doctor we're speaking with. And 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 yet we're going to have an Eating with Dr. Lauren opportunity at the end of this month. That shows taking that deep background and her everyday practice in family medicine and then pairing it with something that's so personally important to her, thinking back to the story with her dad, and now she has made a true lifestyle and lifetime pursuit. I, just as an entrepreneur, I'm just so enamored with your story and so appreciative for you just following your your passion and, and willing to share it so generously with others. So thank you for doing that. Okay. One of the things that you just mentioned is that as a mom, you've had, you know, your own schedule perhaps compromised a little bit, that this is a little bit of a coming back or a coming out party again for you now that you look at your responsibility not only as a healthcare provider but also as a as a parent i'm going to ask this somewhat selfishly but i i think it comes from a good place for those of us who want to influence the eating habits of others is there a way to to do that is there a way to do that with with class and with compassion yes i think the best way i mean it's been a journey for me working um really with my husband uh, you know, very resistant to some of my food things. I mean, I think for the first like two years of our marriage, I was literally cooking two separate meals um, just because he you know, didn't really eat the same way I did. And I'm like, I can't do this anymore. So I think really getting the other person involved, I think it's easier probably if they're kids because you can say, hey, let's go to the grocery store and let's pick out things together. You know, let's, let's, let's wash off the vegetables together. And I think if they're involved, they need to try things. Um, you know, with my husband, I really worked on it from a sense of uh, how is this serving your body? You know, how is this serving your body? My husband used to be an athlete. Um, and so, like, listen, you know how important it is that we put good things in our body. We're getting older. And so you just can't eat the way we ate when we were in our 20s and still be, you know, skinny and in shape. And so we have to think about what birds, what foods are going to serve our body because we want to prevent disease. You know, knowing our family history, how can we prevent disease? And so we have to be mindful of the foods that we put in our body. And so... I just make things and I just give it to him at the time. He probably doesn't know what he's eating, but he's open to just eating it. And he'll say, Oh, that was kind of, that was kind of good. What was that? Or oh, that kind of tasted weird. And so I think it's just about trying new things, being open-minded and I think really getting the other person involved. Let me, I know that you're relatively, you know, nascent in your, your journey as a mom, as a parent, to what degree do you think your own behaviors may be influenced your your husband you know we've, i've heard the expression sometimes it's more about what is caught by those nearby more so than what we've tried to teach them or what was taught in the moment 
is, is, do you have any experience, you know, you're working with patients who may not have the support at home. You're working with somebody who wants to make real change in their life. But the truth is their biggest barrier might be who they spend their time with or who they have their meals with. What, 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 what do we do there? Any, any thoughts? It's hard. I say, you know, you have to kind of look up for yourself, you know, hopefully they'll jump on the bandwagon at some point, but you can't hold up, you know, your health and your health progress because of somebody else, you know? I encourage them and it's hard. It's really, really hard because I think especially as women, we feel this kind of responsibility to make sure everyone in the household is fed and is happy with what they're eating. But that's why a lot of the meals that I teach are very flexible um, because I had to learn how if I make something, how can I make it flexible? Meaning I can twist it in a way that my husband will eat it, but then it's still kind of as the healthy stuff that I want. So I teach a lot about, I call them flexitarian meals. Um, um, so, you know, it kind of serves different but I think just continuing the conversation with that significant other coming from a place of, um, you know, I want us to be healthy together. I want us to build a legacy of good health together. If I can do it by myself, but man, would it be so much better to do it together? And, um, you know, and I think just coming from it with, from that perspective of, um, wanting good health together, knowing that together we can do it and, and do it better and easier. Um, I think also motivates a, a struggling spouse. Man, that's awesome. Thank you for allowing me to just kind of both allow you to get personal on uh, my benefit, but also to give everyone some, I believe, confidence that it can happen. It just may not be something that happens immediately. Okay. For those of you who are not watching the video, you are out on your walk or your run. Good for you. We are in your ears. We are talking with Dr. Lauren Powell. She is a black female. So I'm going to go there. I love being able to make sure that people then can visualize who our guests are if they're just listening to the podcast audio version. There's a couple of things I've seen you work on that's super cool for me, certainly as I get older and recognize that there are just some challenges in places that I didn't know they might have existed when I was 25 years younger or what have you. First of all, I think it's super cool and obviously rare that we have an MD who is just so deep in her knowledge about nutrition. But what also is true is being that chief resident, being that family care provider as the family medicine practitioner, that doesn't happen just all the time. And the percentages suggest it doesn't happen often enough as it relates right. to women in medicine, women in healthcare. And you started an organization, Young Lady Watching. When I think about someone who says, well, I'm passionate about this, my first question is, have you really given up certain things to do what you're doing? Have you really made sacrifices? This shows very clearly you are passionate about this because there's no doubt you have had tough moments and have made sacrifices to get to where you are. Where do you believe women in medicine are today? And where do you believe tomorrow and all the tomorrows to come should be more likely the case? You know, it's unfortunate that black female physicians, we only make up 2% of the physician workforce. Um, so it's, it's not a lot of us, but yet, you know, there's more than 2% of the population are minorities. And so, you know, patients want providers that look like them. They want providers that they feel like can relate to them. And so um, we just have to do better. We just have to do better about educating and reaching our minority um, communities and, and young folks who aspire to have a career in medicine. It's hard. Becoming a doctor is hard anyway. And I think if you have 
you know, no role models, you don't know anybody who's a doctor, you don't have that support, it's really, really hard. So starting Young Lady Watching that I did with my, um, one of my good friends from residency, Dr. Chris Marie, her and I were like, what can we do to just kind of support and encourage and inspire these young, these young women who desire a career in medicine? And so that's kind of, we started on social media, just kind of sharing some information, sharing tips. And then we started doing meetups. We would just say, let's meet for dinner. Some random girls, you know, who are interested in medicine and we take them to dinner and just let them pick our brains, you know? And I feel, you know, feel like that's the least that we could do. You can pick my brain. I'll answer any questions that you, that you have, you know, and then providing some financial support too. We've given scholarships for, you know, uh, USMLE. So we have to take these board exams, the preparation for those exams. I mean, it could cost hundreds, thousands of dollars to take preparation, um, courses for these exams, but you have to do be successful in these exams in order to advance. So if somebody, you know, comes from a family that doesn't have that, they don't have that financial support, what, what are they supposed to do? They're automatically at a disadvantage. So just trying to support them in, in that way. And we're excited that, you know, the world seems to be opening up a bit to kind of reconvene and, and gather together and connect again and kind of support our young lady. That is awesome. Not only is it inspirational, it is very specific in what is being done. Again, drlaurenpowell.com. You can find more. You can connect with her, Dr. Lauren Powell, on Instagram. And especially if you are that young woman who's interested in medicine, is there a better resource? I think not. But now I also have to ask this because this continues. And this was almost 20 years ago for me now, Lauren, where there was a marathon training program called Train to End Stroke. And candidly, I think it was born out of all the success the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society was having with team and training. And there were a number of programs that sprung up and we supported quite a few of them, at least during the heyday of that type of program. I had never heard of Train to End Stroke. And I think because we were that upstart, a relatively new running store, they asked if we would do the footwear clinic, which we were happy to do. Not only did we love that type of environment, we also knew it would be good for our business, but we didn't know where we would do that clinic and we didn't know who the audience would be or how big it would be. So we got our assignment. It was down at an airport hotel. And so we drove down to do our footwear clinic for the train to end stroke program, the first of its kind at that time. And the entire room, almost without any exceptions, except for those who were with the stroke association were black. And I thought, well, it must be because I'm on South Atlanta. And for those of you who are not in Atlanta, I will tell you that there are still parts of Atlanta that are very one color or one color more than another in South Atlanta is, is just still that. By the time I got done and asked some of these questions, it was because, well, do you know who actually is most impacted by stroke? And given your own story and why I tell you this is because this connects back to your dad. African-Americans, black Americans are far more impacted by stroke and diabetes and cardiovascular disease and Corona and all this other stuff that I could go on and go on and go on and go on about how it's so terribly unfortunate, but true that it impacts the black community in ways that maybe most people have not stopped to think about. And here yeah. you are as someone who has this deep knowledge and I have seen reach out to the black community and say, look, y'all. We just have to step into this together and do better. What would you suggest as a way for those who are part of any minority community has not had a family tradition of eating well, does not have a deep history of knowing 
where to shop or easy access, whether it's financially or just geographically, to get those ingredients you've mentioned, where do we begin? It's a real problem. And this is almost 20 years later from when I woke up to being, you know, kind of educated to how much different it can be for one community more than another. How do we solve this? Where do we start? It's really hard. I mean, it's it's just it's difficult. You know, um, pre-pandemic, I was traveling a lot and doing a lot of live cooking events at uh, large churches, large African-American churches. And it's hard because a lot of times people are living in food deserts, which are places where, you know, there are there is no access to fresh fruits and vegetables, but they can go around the corner and get, you know, a full meal from McDonald's. You know, but they have no access to get fruits and vegetables or lettuce, you know, or, you know, they have food stamps, but their food stamps will allow them to get pop and chips and, um, you know, junk food, but it won't allow them to purchase a rotisserie chicken. So, you know, the things in our system, it's, it's just messed up. It's really, really messed up. But what I encourage everybody to do first is, is make sure that you're connected with a physician that you um, feel comfortable with because I think that's a great place to start. I think a lot of times we have resources that just people don't know about. And so I think starting with your physician, making sure you're, even if you're like, I feel well, I feel good. That's great. You know, still come in, still get your yearly physical exam. Let us do some blood work. Let's talk about your family history. Cause I think what a lot of people also don't remember is that, um, you know, cancer screenings happen depending on what age other members of your family may have been affected. So, if colon cancer runs in your family, you're gonna get screened at a different age than the general recommendation. If someone in your family has breast cancer, you're gonna get screened at a different age. And so you're not gonna know that unless you come and you see a doctor and you have a conversation. So I think just starting with your primary care physician is a great place to start. Oftentimes we have resources that you know you may not know about, but I think just encourage. And I think the, the great thing is there's so much stuff on the internet. There's so much social media, there's so much stuff on Pinterest, there's so much stuff on YouTube that's that's free and accessible from our cell phone. And so don't be overwhelmed, start where you can. Sometimes, again, we're in food deserts where there's no access to, to fresh fruits. And I say, listen, fresh is best, but um, you know, frozen works. If you don't have access to frozen, canned vegetables work, you know, just rinse them off to try to rinse off the salt. But just start where you are and don't feel like things have to be perfect in order for you to kind of make changes. We have to kind of start with where we are. Wow, that's that's terrific and great advice. Heck, even from a convenience standpoint, some of those things you just mentioned, sometimes those are gonna be more portable. Sometimes those are just gonna be more convenient. That's awesome advice. All right, I'm gonna let you have the final word as we wrap this conversation, this really important conversation on nutrition, but I'm gonna set you up. And the way that I'm gonna set you up is just simply for someone who is new to this type of conversation and they say tomorrow is the day how do we ensure they do not bite off more than they can chew we use an expression getting started sticking with it and staying strong how do we do just that with our nutrition if we are truly at ground zero right now I'd say start with one thing. I think sometimes we get inspired and we, we want to make a change and we decide that we're going to do all of the things, like all of the things. And I think if we do too much at one time, it's hard to maintain. So I always say when patients are like, you know what, Dr. Powell, I'm ready. I want to start eating healthy. I say, great. Let's start with breakfast. Let's start with breakfast. Let's start thinking differently about how we make breakfast. 
you know, and let's let's just focus on breakfast for two weeks, two to three weeks. Let's master breakfast. Let's try different healthy meals. Um, and then once we've mastered breakfast, now let's work on lunch. Because I think sometimes we do if we do too much and, you know, it's just it's just hard. Food is hard and, and, and lifestyle stuff is hard. I think it's easier to just take a pill every day. So doing the lifestyle stuff is hard. And so we're going to need patience. We're going to need grace and patience just to do one thing. Let's just start with one thing and trust the process that, um, you know, it, it will make a difference. Because sometimes you, you change things and you're like, nothing seems the same. Nothing seems different. I still feel like the weight is the same. And, but I think we just have to trust the process and um, just that one thing, one thing each day. Awesome. She is Dr. Lauren Powell. I told y'all that we were going to learn. We were going to sit at the feet of someone who not only knows so much and can teach us everything that we need to know that she's going to do it in a way that we're going to be super comfortable and we're certainly going to be better for it. Again, for those of you who are taking notes, eating with drlauren.com, August 25th, 26th, and 27th. You can get registered right away. You'll find a link in our show notes to learn more. DrLaurenPowell.com. We'll put that in our show notes for those of you who perhaps want an appointment with her and not just a relationship on Instagram. It's the Prevent Clinic that is hers alongside a colleague of hers who, interestingly enough, is a cardiologist. We won't get into that in this episode, but what a powerful combination the two of you must be. That's the Prevent Clinic. And then this is a must for those of you, whether you want it as a coffee table book to show off for your friends that you are eating clean or whether it is a reference manual for you to have within arm's length of where you're doing your cooking. The food essentials for the busy professional by Dr. Lauren Powell needs to be yours. Again, thanks for doing this for us. We so very much appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. All right. I'm going to do one quick thing that would be Hoove all of us to know, for those of you listening to this shortly after we release it, it is early August in 2022. I'm also thrilled to announce that Big Peach in Midtown, our Big Peach Running Company location in Midtown at 800 Peachtree, that will get a conversion in early August. We'd like to think we will be ready for a soft opening by August 6th, perhaps August 7th or 8th to our ride and run concept. That's right. We've partnered once again with our friends from Bikes Plus out of Western Tennessee and our partners in Southern California, Giant Bicycles. And we will have a full assortment of performance bikes, mountain bikes, gravel bikes, commuter bikes, e-bikes for you to check out. And for those of you who live and or work or just recreate in and around Midtown, if you don't already have that perfect set of wheels to get around, do yourself and the environment a big favor and come check us out. Big Peach Ride and Run, certainly by that middle part of August, fully functional. And that is my PSA for now. This, of course, is the end of this episode, but not the end of this journey. We will be back before you know it. In the meantime, as we always say, as we certainly mean, as we prove this evening with Dr. Lauren Powell, our best miles are just ahead. Good night, everyone. Hey, y'all, if you enjoy our podcast, let us know. If you have topic suggestions, questions, or guests you'd like to hear on the Big Peach Ride and Run podcast, email us at podcast at bigpeachrunningcoat.com. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube.